When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hello and welcome for another episode of the season of Try This on Wisp Sports. I'm your host, Dr. Kirsten Lauritsen. And today I have a very special guest. Uh, her name is Nikki Peterson, and she is a professional mountain biker. And I'm extremely, I'm so excited about this because I just got into mountain biking this past year. So this is going to be a really fun episode for me. And I hope it also will be for you. Nikki, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Um, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, so my name's Nikki Peterson, and I currently live in Idlewild, California, which is a little mountain town nestled above Palm Springs. So my cabin that I'm in right now is actually at 6,200 feet. Um, as you mentioned, I'm a professional mountain biker. I race with Competitive Metals Trek, um, and I have a wonderful team of sponsors like MV Sports, Goo, Orange Steel, um, Fox, Shimano, the list goes on. Um, and I also am very involved in youth mountain biking. I'm the associate director for the SoCal League of NICA. And so we work with the student athletes grades 6 through 12. And then I coach um, primarily mountain bike and gravel athletes. And I do some digital marketing on the side as well. Um, and actually, my first degree is in dietetics. And so um, I'm really passionate about nutrition. And then I have my teaching credential and master's in education as well. Whoa, this is <laughs> going to be great. Well, I'm so excited to dive into some of that with you. Um, how did you get into mountain biking? So it's kind of a long story, but I'll try and give the shorter version of that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I was a runner. So in fifth grade, I started running cross country and track and um, it really saves me. I had a really challenging upbringing and running was my stability. It brought in amazing people. Um, my high school coach was my greatest mentor. I still keep in touch with her 20 years later. Um, I ended up going to Indiana University on a running scholarship and uh, my freshman year of college, I actually grew three inches, which is fairly unusual for a female to grow that much. But I had a stress reaction. And so my coach put me on the spin bike for six weeks and I got off and ran for one day and made it to the finals of the Big Ten championships in the 800. So right away, I was like, whoa, like you can get a lot of fitness from cycling. Like it doesn't mm -hmm. break my body down as much. That's really cool. Um so I ended up transferring to University of Wyoming, which is where I graduated high school from in Wyoming. And over the next several years, um, I dabbled back and forth between getting injured, being on the bike. Um, wasn't really able to mountain bike, though, because I was on a scholarship and I didn't want to get injured. But literally like a week after I was done with my last track season, I went out and bought a $500 specialized rock hopper bike and I would take it out on the cattle trails in Wyoming and, um, ride. And that's kind of how I, how I found it. And then I just fell in love with it right away. Wow. Pretty much. Yeah. 
Wow. That's such an interesting, <laughs> that's such an interesting path into mountain biking. You know, it's interesting because part of this uh, podcast is about triathlon. And I think one of the things that people learn, well, hopefully quickly is that, um, that you can do, a, you can build a lot of your fitness on the bike yes. for the run and you don't have to just pound and pound and pound away on the run side of things necessarily. The, the swim and the bike, a lot of the fitness you build there can certainly translate into the run. Yeah. And I wish my coach had, um, like, I, I really tried to convince my coach at Wyoming of that to let me bike maybe even more than run because I knew that it worked and he never, never quite bought it. So it always ended up happening after I would get injured. Then I would be jogging in the pool and then I would be on the bike. Yeah. And so I always think like, you know, the woulda, coulda, shoulda, but I just, I wonder what would have happened if I had been able to bike yeah. <laughs> um, more in college, but yeah. 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 Okay. Well, um, so where did, you, I mean, so in, in high school, you, you did a lot of running and, and track and field. Did you grow up doing any other sports as well? When I was in middle school, I tried everything. I loved basketball, but I was like four, nine, I think in eighth grade, four, oh, 10. Totally. I, was, I was so short. <laughs> um, and it's so funny. I still have this memory of when I knew my basketball career was over. I was mm. playing a game in eighth grade and I <laughs> went to make a stop in defense. And this girl was like five, eight and just, I went flying like 30 feet across the floor. And I was like, oh. ah, I think I'm done. Um, but I also played volleyball, soccer. So I, I just love sports. I've always been an athletic person. Still to this day, like, I, my first time on a wakeboard, like, I was jumping the wake. Um, I love to snowboard. So I just really like to be active. Um, but in eighth grade, my coach at the time told me, like, you know, you have a lot of potential. Like, if you focus on running, you could be really good. So I quit everything and decided to just run. And then in ninth grade, that same coach was like, you know, if you quit drinking soda, I think you could get the state record this year. And I quit drinking soda that day and still I was 14 and I still don't drink soda. Hmm. So I've always very committed, <laughs> very committed. Yeah. <laughs> do you think that, oh, just this is a complete side note. Do you think that actually quitting drinking soda helped you win? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I think I think it, like not just that soda is bad for you, but also again, going back to that commitment. Um, so maybe that one particular thing didn't help me win, but learning to just be very dedicated, I think mm -hmm. is a good habit to learn. Mm -hmm. Um, and it transfers into all areas of your life, right? So school, sure. friendships, relationships, um, all of that. I think just learning to be committed is important. Yeah. That's a very interesting thing for a coach to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so what, so, okay. So first off, what was the journey like getting into being a professional mountain biker? Like you, you started mountain biking just right out of college, but what was that journey like? Yeah. So, um, that's also kind of a stretched out cause I bought, I bought the bike and would ride on cattle trails and then ended up moving to Lander, Wyoming shortly after and actually um, got into a coffee shop and ended up being a co-owner. So I was actually oh. working like 90 to 100 hours a week. Like you own a business, you know, what it's like <laughs> working yes. all the time. I had I had this bike. I never rode it. I found this group of um of male friends. There's a really great community in, in Lander, Wyoming, and I would go all mountain biking with them. So I would basically borrow 
this friend's large Santa Cruz bike with like my running shorts and running shoes and just crashed my way down the mountain. So I went to Whistler for a downhill mm. mountain bike camp. Yes. I was like, well, I need to learn how to do this. Um, and so I started out like downhill mountain biking, went to that camp two years in a row. Um, this is the very short version. Moved to Sedona for a transition period. Like I, I was done with the coffee shops, done working that much. Moved to Sedona and met these two amazing girlfriends that took me out cross-country riding and taught me how to climb Clifton. And one of them was like, you should try a race. And so I was like, okay, why not? And I knew that I had experienced suffering, even though I didn't really have mountain bike skills. So I signed up for the expert race and got seventh, I think. of It was like 20 women, 19 or 20. Um, and then... Race Cat won my first year, got second at nationals. And then I was like, well, I think I'll get my pro license. And so, Whoa. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of dove in. No kidding. Like all feet, it's it's that commitment that you learned. It's a muscle that, that, that you've trained. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. So, okay. Is there, I'm, I'm now very curious. So the mountain biking that I'm aware of and that we do is pro, is downhill, um, as you mentioned, but I mean, we, we climb up a path, but then it's a lot of, um, it's, it's very fast downhill through all sorts of trails. Is, mm-hmm. is there a different part of mountain biking? Like you mentioned cross country, like what, what are the different, what are we talking about here? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Okay. So cross country mountain bike, um, so you ride up and down trails. Um, a lot of times in the races, though, it's still exactly what you're talking about. Uh, the uphills might be on a paved road or a fire road or a double track so that there's passing opportunities. Um, there typically is still some uphill single track as well. So some of those trails you go down, I'm that crazy person that likes to ride up it. <laughs> um, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so so you just ride like very terrain, but cross-country mountain bike is more of an endurance sport so it's um the cross-country distance is actually right around an hour and a half but I like to do the longer races that will take four to five hours um, on a mountain bike and my gravel races will take eight hours sometimes okay and what are the distances that you're typically traveling in that four to five or eight hours um so Let's see, for those longer ones, like four four hours is usually around 50 miles. Like I'd say 45 to 55 miles. Okay. And then the, the eight-hour gravel races are around 120 to 140. Oh, wow. But that's gravel. So it's yeah. like faster. They typically throw in some single track to make it interesting. There's some road. So it's multi-surface kind of. Sure. So you can be going 16 to 20 miles an hour average. Ah, oh, this is so neat. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's really cool. It's, it's opening up a whole other world to me. Um, yeah, with with triathlon, my my favorite part of triathlon is the bike. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's fun. I've been wondering if racing uh, on a bike in other sports might be a good idea. <laughs> Dipping my it, toes it's in. It's always worth trying it, right? Yeah, I'm definitely not good enough yet. I'll tell you that. <laughs> especially on a mountain bike, but we'll, you know, maybe we'll get there. Um, I actually took up mountain biking to try to get a little bit of cross training in just to Mm -hmm. try to get a little bit more comfortable on the bike as far as just being, um, I don't know, 
yeah, just getting more comfortable on it, especially if you're going straight downhill and you're having to turn and go around trees and over rocks and things, you're going to get a lot more comfortable on that. And then that'll translate to being more comfortable on a tri bike for sure. Yeah. Learning the handling and all of that. So what has your experience been being um, a female athlete in sport? Yeah. You know, I think it's been both wonderful and challenging at the same time. Um, I, but I feel like I feel the same way with having a career as well. Right. Like with, with work, I think, um, sometimes it feels like being a woman, like we were talking about before we started recording, there's like higher standards. Sure. Um, but then at the same time, I also feel like I have the best support network ever. And some of that is by luck with people coming into your life or whatever people call it happens stands divine it like whatever um but I think I've I've been very thoughtful with building my network of of people in my life and so um if someone if I feel like someone doesn't support me or doesn't support women I typically try to not have as many interactions with them um sure. but one thing I think that's really important that isn't always talked about enough is like I I feel like I have so much support from other women. Like the community is wonderful, but I also feel like there are a lot of male allies that support me as well. And I think that's something that is so, so important because we all have to work together to lift each other up. It can't just be women lifting women up. We need help from all genders. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like for the most part, your experience has been a positive one, which is really good. Yeah. Absolutely. And like I said, the community of women um, that I've met, we all race on the pro circuit. And then, of course, there's women that aren't pros that are amazing and that are some of my closest friends, too. So it's, it's not exclusive. But I will say the women that I've raced against, um, I just did a ride last week. I went to Tucson and had a camp with one of my best friends, Rose Grant, and we planned this ride with other women that were in Tucson. And it was six of us. And we all came from totally different backgrounds, um, life and racing backgrounds. And we did the 60 mile gravel route and we all were like getting emotional at times because it just was so fun. Like every time you would stop, there was so much like talking and laughter and everyone works really hard, but we all understood that like the point of that ride wasn't to put in hard work necessarily. It was more just to like fill your, fill your bucket kind of fill your cup, you know? That is amazing. (laughs) Oh, that sounds like something. Oh, that would be, that would be the coolest, the coolest experience. And it would be amazing to have that many great friends in the sport as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's really really developed over the past, like five or six years. I think there has been kind of a shift where I feel like, like a decade ago, it was like, you're on the start line. You don't talk to anyone. All your training is secret. And now, luckily, I think social media maybe has helped with that. Like, it's starting to transform into like, hey, I struggle too. Or, hey, this is how much I ride and I work and train. And so I think we're just able to be a bit more vulnerable. And the thing to realize, too, is you can know every single thing about how someone trains. And it's really not going to make a difference because you can only control your own race and your own training and your own choices. Absolutely. And it's so interesting how 
unique and specific that training and anything else that they do can be for that specific person. So something that works really well for you might not work for somebody else just simply because that's not necessarily what they need. I always tell my athletes there are a lot of ways to get fast and that's a good thing. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of ways. And I, I always think that's also, that's interesting too, because a lot of athletes will switch coaches, they'll switch trainers and not saying that there's not an, um, a reason for that at some times, but there's a lot that will just go through training and training and training and, and trying new things because in their mind, it's not working when in fact, it's probably something that they, they need to look into for themselves, or there's something else going on that, that they need. That's just different than what everybody else is doing. Exactly. Yeah. And I think a lot of times it's being overtrained. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I'll talk about that all the time. Um, but I really think that's cool though, that, that there's a community that's forming out of that group because I, I do know what you, I, I, I remember going in like in the past, um, even just like 10 or 15 years ago when you, when competing in sports, it, it was that way. Like you just didn't talk to people. You didn't have, there was, there was, there were no friendships, you know, unless you were on a team, that was one Mm -hmm. thing. And you had, you had friendships inside of that team, but it was very strange and weird to have friends on other teams or, or people doing other, you know, sports, especially if you competed with them. So that is a really great thing to see that there's a lot more community coming out of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I was like trying to figure out the other day because um, over the past couple of months, I've been fortunate enough to ride with a lot of different women. I've been traveling quite a bit and I have like Rose is five-time national champion. My friend Larissa has won Leadville twice and she was on the Olympic one team. My friend Kathy was a world downhill champion. And I was like, why, like, why (laughs) kind of sarcastic, but kind of serious. Like, why do I put myself through this? Like, why am I trying to train with these women? They're so strong. Mm -hmm. And then I, I thought about even, even like more and seriously too, like, okay, what, what is drawing me to hang out with women like this? And what I realized is that, um, I I really love having that friendship with someone and it can be male or female that like, first of all, appreciates being outside and nature and moving your body, but also likes to have challenges, right? And work towards hard things. And so these rides we go on might have 10,000 feet of climbing and you might feel terrible during the ride, but the sense of accomplishment when you get done with the ride and like the memories you make, like that's, that's something that I personally wish every person could experience. I wish every person could look at the views that I see on a ride and like feel the, the happiness and like the gratitude that I get from it. Oh, totally. My, okay. Before we move on, I I have a funny story. My, my husband and I were checking out a new trail up in Washington, which is close to where my, my parents live and where I grew up, had no idea. There's tons and tons and tons of mountain biking trails there. And it's a very big 
big hub for mountain biking, but they, uh, so we, we didn't know too much about the mountain. I mean, we, we knew some and we had our maps on our phone, but didn't, this was our first time going there. And so we, we get onto one of the climbing trails and this is the first time we've also ever done a climbing trail. I mean, usually we'll take, you know, access roads and things like that. So we're, we're climbing this trail. (laughs) I mean, this thing went on for forever and we get to the top and my husband kind of looks at me and he's like, man, I'm, I am seriously, I am starving. And I look at my phone and I was like, well, we've been, we've been climbing for two and a half hours. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) I was like, yeah, uh, that was a two and a half hour climb. And he was like, oh my gosh. Now, keeping in mind, we were definitely going slow because uh, it was doesn't a climb, matter though. But it's based on time. <laughs> holy cow, we were so tired. The rest of the day ended up being even. There were even more errors that happened after that. But man, it was that was a climb that we. I don't think either of us will ever forget. <laughs> what part of Washington? I want uh, to Maple Valley. Do you know where okay. that is? I don't know. Uh-uh. Yeah, so it's um, Maple Valley is uh, like south. I think it's southeast-ish of Seattle. It's okay. um, kind of on your way between Seattle and um, Snoqualmie Mountain. Okay, and there's a ton okay. of trails through there. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's that's a pretty popular spot as far as that's I'm awesome. aware. But yeah, yeah. lots of great. YouTube videos is, I guess, what I should say. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Okay, well, we will be right back after this short break. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Okay, so what um, does training look like and kind of a day in the life look like for you? Like, what is, how much is your training load per week? What does training generally look like for you? Yeah. So, um, one thing that I've had to learn with my body is that I have to be really adaptable. Um, I do, I do work a lot and obviously that stress, um, plays a large role in my training. Um, so on an average week, I would say I do about 12 to 15 hours of training and that includes riding my bike and lifting twice a week. Um, but it really depends on the season of my life. So like right now, um, we're gearing up for race season for my full-time job. So I have a lot of meetings and maybe won't be able to ride as much. But then like last week I was in Tucson and I rode 24 hours. So mm-hmm. it it does really, really depend. And I'm really fortunate enough to have a coach that understands that. And he's really great at adapting my schedule um, based on my work meetings. And so typically I'll wake up 
answer emails right away. I usually have meetings from about eight to 11. Um, so I ride midday usually like between yeah. 11 and two or so, and then, um, come back, do some more work, cook dinner. Uh, a lot of times I end up working at night as well because my job requires that I'm available for our volunteers and obviously many of them work during the day. So I'll hold webinars in the evenings or be on phone calls, that sort of thing. So it's not your typical nine to five job, but I love it. But that's also really cool though, because you get that opportunity to train in the middle of the day. So it's like kind of baked in, in a sense that it, it accommodates everybody's schedule in, in some ways. Yeah. And also like I, for the most part, I do get to block off time for myself to train and it's during daylight and because of where I live, it's outside. And so I, I know that even though I might work until nine o'clock some nights, like I'm so lucky that I can ride during the middle of the day. Um, and something that I've, I've really tried hard to do also is that uh, I learned this from my friend Rose, like to be really protective of my training time. And so what that means is like, if I'm going to, if I know I'm going to ride at noon that day at 1130, I'll put my phone on silent. And if I get emails or phone calls, then I'll take care of it when I get back. And so that's something that's really helped a lot. Smart, smart, yeah. smart. Yes. Um, that's a, that is a, a nugget, a tip that, yeah. that is yeah. a definitely a really great takeaway for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, how do you support? So, okay. So moving on from that, which I think that training schedule is a really neat way to, to combine both work and training. And I, I yeah. think that when I, what I've found as far as like, cause a lot of people will ask me like, how did you have time to like, you know, do an Ironman or how do you have time to train for this stuff? And it's kind of more along the lines of like, well, it's actually not that much when you think about it. Like most of my training in the week is going to take me maybe an hour, an hour and a half. But like when I would yeah. prioritize going to the gym, just like any other CrossFitter or whatever, uh, it, you usually were there for an hour. So it's not like it's that much. It's just there's exactly. some more time on the weekends that you spend. Yep. Um which is but the best way to spend much. your weekend anyways, right? Right. And then <laughs> and then if you get the chance to like be outside, which um you know, provided my, I live in Oregon, so weather dependent, but you know, if you get to spend time outside, it's, it's even better. So yeah, yeah, I get it. So how do you support your training with nutrition and fueling? Since you have Uh, a degree in dietetics, (laughs) I'm excited. I do. Yeah. I love it. Um, so was in college I did research in the nutrition and exercise lab and, um, I got to go to, uh, scan, which is a sports nutrition conference to present information. And my, one of my best friends, Tanya and I were sitting listening to this lecture from this guy talking about being a vegan. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I could never do that. That's crazy. And then I decided like, well, I'm going to try and be vegetarian for two weeks just to see what it's like. And I ended up doing it for like a year and a half, not do, I ended up being a vegetarian for a year and a half. And that's where I learned, um, how to cook. Basically, because when I you grew up, yeah. well, a can of corn was a vegetable. Uh-huh. Yes, <laughs> um, totally. I didn't, I had never tried an avocado until I was 21, I think. Oh, um, man. Yeah. And so it really taught me to try different vegetables, to find recipes. And I fell in love with cooking. And so for me, like nutrition and fueling is also like kind of like my therapy. Like I love to cook. Um, so I do a lot of my food prep um, on Sunday. 
I'll just cook uh, like a big pot of rice or roast a bunch of veggies. That way, when I'm busy throughout the week, I can easily put dishes together and then I'll supplement them. So I might have a dinner where I use some of that rice and then add in like other fresh veggies. Um, I, I don't use a lot of recipes now. I like to just cook by the ingredients that I have. Um, and I'm also, I'm alone. And so sometimes that's challenging because you end up with a lot so of leftovers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I've had to also become creative and find different ways to make each meal like interesting. So sure. a lot of times that's with different sauces. Oh, yes. The sauces yeah. is where it's at. <laughs> yeah. But I always eat breakfast, um, uh-huh. I snack throughout the day. I'll eat a meal usually an hour before I ride my bike. And then as soon as I get in the door, I'm eating right away. Um, I might have like a goo recovery drink, which has 20 grams of protein. And then I always eat a big dinner. And the other thing is if I'm hungry before bed, I eat. Um, Sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'm hungry. I Uh eat. I'm Uh very much a believer that food is fuel and I don't restrict myself. Like I try and make healthy choices. Yeah. I don't, I haven't had fast food in, I don't know, a decade or something. Um, so I try to make good choices, but I try to make sure I'm listening to my body as well. Totally. Totally. What does your, what is your pre-train? Well, I guess I should, I should follow up on that because I find that very interesting. I, I think that when we try different ways of eating, we always learn something. There's always mm-hmm. a takeaway from it. Um, and I think that part of why I love the idea of plant-based eating is that it does in many ways force you to see how few vegetables we actually typically eat. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. Yeah. It, as soon as you start incorporating in meat and um, other types of foods that are typically along that, that line of things, vegetables become lower and lower on the totem pole. Yep. And that. I think also in many ways creates opportunities for a lot of nutrient deficiencies and, mm-hmm. and other things to pop up because it, a lot of what we get is through plants and there's definitely quite a few things that we get through meat as well, but um, vegetables and fruits have a lot to offer too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And in having, like you said, different types of vegetables too. Yep. Um, yep. Like a wide when variety. I, when I go to the grocery store, the, the first thing I do is go to the produce section and I like, I don't know if this is the best way to grocery shop, but like I said, I typically don't use recipes. And so I, I just kind of walk around and find what vegetables look good to me, which again, I know that's like a lot of people like to plan, but like I'm looking at my vegetable bowl right now and I have like a butternut squash, limes, red potato, avocado, cherry tomatoes. I have like uh I have arugula in the fridge and spinach. And so it ends up being very colorful. And Mm -hmm. then from there, I'll be like, okay, what staples do I need? Oh, I have brown rice at home. I have quinoa, like um, kind of like go through it that way. And so when I grocery shop, usually once a week, it ends up being almost all produce. And I, I, I eat meat, but sparingly right now. Um, Again, I feel like being at home and cooking for one meat is expensive and it's usually like too much right like one one chicken breast for one person can last a couple of days so i i primarily cook vegetarian at home um 
But if I'm craving meat, like last night I had chicken sausage because it just sounded really, really good. Yeah. Um, then I make sure and give that to my body. And if I go out to eat and I know that the meat is sourced well, then I'll usually get meat there if I want it to. So I try and just really um, listen to my body. I think there's yeah. a lot to be said. Oh, that. absolutely. I also sort of wondered too, by that method of going into the grocery store and just sort of looking around to see what looks good. If you notice your patterns, like as long as you're not necessarily like stuck in certain things that you eat all the time. And and I think that what you may be doing, which I think is really neat is you're allowing your body to kind of intuitively tell you what it wants. hundred percent. I think there's a lot to be said about that. Mm-hmm. Um, like, if I'm craving something, it's usually there's probably a vitamin in there. Yep. There's a reason um, for it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll go through phases, exactly what you said. Um, I don't know. I went through this phase where I just really, really, really wanted radishes and like radishes tend to be really high in vitamin C. Yeah. And, um, and then also the other thing is like, there's a lot of, of research about eating like seasonally, like with what's yep. in season. Tons. And so I think also our bodies tell us that too. So like it's winter time, I'm in California, so avocados are always around, but <laughs> they're higher fat, right? And so yeah. in the winter, you typically, like it, it's healthy to gain weight, um, to hunker down. Like I get snow and it gets cold where I live. So avocados are great. That's awesome. Yeah. So what, what does your pre-training and so you mentioned post-training, what that typically looks like is you just, you go straight for, you have some, sometimes a protein um, powder or, or some sort of drink or, or something like mm-hmm. that. And then you try to eat food as quickly as possible, but what does pre-training look like? And what does fueling like during training look like? Typically? Yeah. So pre-training, um, depending on the length of time that I'm going out for, it typically is a lot of um, carbohydrates and then I'll still have some protein in there. And so, um, I like, it might be a big bowl of rice with some roasted veggies or something, or, um, like a sandwich is really great. Like I love to make a sandwich with like hummus and veggies. And if I have deli meat, I'll eat that. If I don't, that's fine. Um, lots of water is really important. And then also like making sure you have electrolytes. So, whether that's a tab or just using the salt shaker works too. Um, Like red potatoes have potassium. Those are electrolytes. Uh, So I do make sure that I, I supplement with electrolytes before. And then while I'm training, um, that's something that takes a lot of focus. Like for the shorter stuff, I don't think it's as hard because you just need um, sugars, right? Like simple carbs, but the longer you go, you really have to replace those calories so that you can keep doing the work. Yep. And so if I'm doing a four or five hour ride, like I have to be very diligent about eating and I try and pack more food than I need knowing I probably still won't eat enough because it's really hard to do that. Um, but I'll have drink mix in my bottles because that's usually the, the goo that I use is about 200 to 250 calories depending on the flavor per bottle. So right there, if you're drinking a bottle per hour, that's, 200 calories, which is really helpful. Um, and then I might have like, if it's intervals or a race, I'll have like shoes or an energy gel, but really in the off season, I try and eat more, um, natural foods or whole foods. So I have this really awesome cookie recipe that I make and it's, it's oatmeal, peanut butter. Um, you can use chocolate chips, although sometimes they melt and then, 
I'm missing one more ingredient. Honey, maybe? It's four ingredients, but they're really easy to make. Oh, banana. It's banana. So they're four ingredients and they're delicious and you get plenty of calories from the peanut butter. Um, and so I'll eat that while I'm writing to, to get my food. Do you find that, do you have, uh, so first off, I love that. I also really love the balance between there's, there's a balance between the race season where you have kind of more of those like artificial kind of goos and gels and yeah. and gummies and things like that. But then in the off season, you really try to prioritize using whole food. Mm-hmm. I think um, that's a very great way to balance out all of that very high sugar. Cause there's, there's a point where <clears throat> I, I am definitely, if you can try to find like a whole food source, that's even better. But there's also a point where sometimes those very fast calorie type high sugar gels are, or types of fueling anyway are really efficient and effective mm-hmm. and there's there I feel like there's definitely a place for both but if you can balance the rest of your nutrition out you know during the week and then also in the off season with more whole food based sources you're going to be it's going to be a lot better for your body in general absolutely and also I eat Joji bars yeah yeah J- yeah yeah so those are also like the lemon blueberry quinoa is my favorite it's so yeah. good so good. That's awesome. Yeah, totally. There's, yeah, there's so many things. Do you find it um, tricky to eat on the bike? Like, I'm so curious, how do you fuel on? Cause what we do is I always eat when we're like taking a break in between runs, <laughs> but um, what's it like to try to fuel on the bike? Yeah. So um, I think that's why it can be hard to fuel is because you have to really yeah. force yourself like, Oh, this is a good place. I can eat here. While I'm yeah. riding, like it's a, we're in a fire road. I need to eat now. Sure. Um, and so it's just taken years of practice, I think, um, to get better at it. Some like cycling com- computers will actually beep at you to remind you to eat also. Um, but then also like on training rides, I might stop for some reason, whether it's a stoplight or to talk to someone or whatever. So as soon as I stop, I always try and take a bite of food. Um, or take a drink. So I do take those opportunities as well. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Okay. So last question. Um, do you take any supplements? Um, and if so, or if not, what has worked well for you so far? I used to, okay. Uh, I, I used to take a multivitamin and a probiotic and I have exercise induced asthma or coughing asthma, I guess. And so, yeah. I took asthma medication as well. Mm -hmm. And um, I actually haven't taken vitamins like the last year. Okay. Um, But I feel like my diet is rich enough that I don't need to at this time. Um, And and last time I got a blood panel, which was, I guess I probably need to get another one because it was a year ago. Everything was great. Yeah, yeah, everything was great. And so mm-hmm. um, I think that means that it's going fine. Um, yeah. And then again, like, I do feel like as an athlete, like I'm, I'm really in touch with my body. And so I just really try hard to listen to my body. Um, I also have never had a problem with low iron. So that's not something I have to worry about. But I would suggest to people um, to always get a, a base panel once a year, once every six months is better. Um, yep. But if you're an athlete, that maybe does find yourself with anemia, like you might need to take a supplement, but you should never take an iron supplement without having a blood panel. Yes. 
most supplements, it's, it's ideal if you can be getting, um, a panel run at least once a year, if not, um, multiple times a year, depending. And then there can be, there's a lot of specialty labs that you can run underneath that, depending on what comes back. But just those standard labs are usually really helpful for showing you where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. And I would highly recommend it. It's it's so helpful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So Nikki, um, where can people find you if they want to come follow you and see what you're up to? Um, on Instagram, my handle is at Nikki underscore Joe underscore Peterson. Um, and that's the best place. I technically have a Facebook page, but I don't go on there very often. Okay. And you also have a podcast as well, right? Yeah, I do. It's called girls moving mountains. Love it. And, um, we basically try and connect the community across the country for females that are, um, into mountain biking and cycling and adventure. I love that. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was awesome. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And that's our episode for now. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to follow Wisp Sports on all social media channels. And also, it would be amazing if you would share this episode with anyone you think might love it. If you could also leave a review if and subscribe, that helps us get this out to more people. You can also follow me at Dr. Kirsten on Facebook and Instagram and find me at drkirsten.com. If you'd like to reach us with any comments or questions about this episode, you can at info at wispsports.com and you can always leave a direct message with us over on social media as well. Thank you for listening and I will be back next week. Take care. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.